my thing was never to be in one box for seven years, right? It was, what's the goals? How do I get them accomplished? How do we drive the science forward? That's the voice of Mark Day, Director, President, and Chief Executive Officer of BioAces Technologies. At the 2019 CEO and Investor Conference, BioAces was named Buzz of Bio winner in the public therapeutic category. Listen in now to my conversation with Mark. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. This afternoon, I'm with Mark Day, President and CEO at BioAces Technologies. Mark, how'd you find yourself here at BioAces? I was looking for a disruptive enabling platform technology that could really turn around the probability of success in neuroscience. Um, Something that was flexible enough to be able to deliver diverse sets of payloads. SIRNAs, enzyme replacement therapies, small molecules, you know, varying antibodies of different sizes, etc. And the nucleus for that was because in every company I've worked at, um, it's been the same fate for neuroscience clinical development programs. And, and specifically, what I mean by that is that the drug typically makes its way through phase one, where you do the safety assessment and you escalate your dose, single ascending or multiple ascending dosing. And on the face of it, neuroscience looks like a no-go area because of the high attrition of development compounds due to futility. And by that, I mean the compound is deemed... Uh, not to have worked in the patient population. In reality, what was really happening across the board was that the, there's a, not all companies do this, but some companies will keep the phase one dose low based on what they discovered in animal models. And, you know, that almost guarantees, you know, success through phase one. But the real test for the patient comes in phase two, phase three, right? And that's really where you've done your phase one, you're now looking for a proof of concept that your medicine actually works and that the patient responds to that medicine. And literally, if you look at all of the programs where there's enough data on, right, um, in terms of did the drug cross the blood-brain barrier, did it engage its target, that can be a receptor, like histamine three, for example, Um, Or it could be target tissues in the case of uh, brain metastases, um, where, you know, the the, the cancers actually, you know, metastasize into the brain um, and none of the available medicines can get across the blood-brain barrier unaided. And so um, around 2008, 2009, after seeing multiple failures at that point and realizing that if you kind of took a money ball approach to this, you know, the Brad Pitt movie... (laughs) Um, and look how he constructed his team, right? It's about what are the three things that predict the success of the drug? And that's missing in, I'd say, about 80% of the phase two, threes that failed. So just to be clear, that means the drug has to get across the blood-brain barrier. It has to bind to its target. The target can be a receptor or it can be target tissue where the disease manifestation is. So in the case of brain mets, you will have brain metastases in the in the brain and you need your drug not just to get across the bbb but actually go to the target sites so that's the target engagement piece the third piece of this and this is how we choose our programs it's how we advance programs 
it's not enough to just get increased brain exposure. And this was part of my due diligence on looking for the right company. Um, and, you know, so it's not enough to get just the increased brain exposure. The brain exposure has to translate into the target engagement. The target engagement is meaningless unless it drives the biological effect that you're looking for. So in the case of brain mets, for example, it's obviously um, a decrease in tumor size, the volume of the tumors. Um, and to date, there has no, been no treatment options other than drilling a hole in the head that can get the drugs into the brain. And of course, um, through direct delivery like that, you know, there's obviously, you know, liabilities like you know, infections, it's expensive, it's not something you want to do en masse, so you can't do that on lots of patients. It's just, and the, you know, these are pretty sick patients. So they're the three predictors. Um, the additional thing we look at is, um, so tumor shrinkage is good, obviously, in that context. But what you really want to see is, because typically a cancer therapy, for example, is going to take, you know, several weeks to several months sometimes it doesn't work at all uh, to manifest so another way of looking at the kind of pharmacodynamic effect of your medicine and to get a sense of not just your dose which you can do with PET imaging but actually to show that you're starving the tumour out in this case, in this example um, glucose metabolism is a really easy very routine thing to do uh, you know cancer cells they're hungry right they feed on arginase and other things. They'll consume anything that allows the cancer to grow. It's kind of a kind of odd side of evolution, but that's what you're seeing in rapid time in cancer. So the glucose metabolism itself can not just indicate what dose is able to drive the biological effects. In this case, what you want to see is the tumor starved of glucose. So when I came across different BBB technologies, I came across this one that I'd never heard of before called Bioasis. And you have to remember this back in 2008, 2009. So Bioasis was really only formed as an entity in 2008. And, you know, I looked at it and you were just kind of looking at it and going, and I was familiar with all the other, all the other BBB techs. And uh, the very top line of that is these guys were able to get into the brain really quickly like super fast compared to competing technologies. Um, the competing technologies were delivering in the region of 1% to 1.5% of the injected dose. So, you know, typically, so for example, for a lead program in brain cancer, um, once you inject the drug, just intravenous, it's literally seconds for it to get to the blood-brain barrier and across it. Um, so that was one differentiation. The second that excited me was the, um, the, the, the abundance of targets that the technology was able to, to deliver. Um, so, for example, it's delivered siRNA therapeutics. In one example there, you know, the siRNA is there to knock down the NOX4 gene, which is a major factor in stroke. Um, and you know, really deliver cargo. And you see really, really elegant data in those. It's under review right now in science. But, you know, you see there's really elegant data there to show that not only can you deliver siRNA and knock down the gene of interest and, at least in the preclinical models, be able to totally restore the neurological function. Um, there was also other targets, which were really large targets that you can get into the brain. And with that, you know, we have two antibodies, trastuzumab, it's never been brain penetrant before. 
um, link it with our technology, gets into the brain, does all the things that predict success, and we're, we're advancing towards development on that. But MedImmune did an independent validation with their interleukin-1 uh, antibody. Um, again, it, it was in their gangbusters with a single dose. Study ran for just two weeks. The end of two weeks, drug was still in the brain. Um, so, you know, when I looked at that set of diversity, it meant that this was really disruptive on the sense that, could be really disruptive, on the sense that if the competitive field is 1% to 1.5% of the injected dose and we can deliver four to six, that was a huge advantage, right? The second was the diversity of the payloads. Um, it's literally a small peptide. You link it onto a well-known medicine like trastuzumab or sarazyme or any of the medicines that work peripherally, so you know, breast cancer, etc., but they don't get across the blood-brain barrier. So um, one of the things that really kind of caught my attention was the enzyme replacement therapy space because like gene therapy with enzyme uh, replacement therapies, you know, there's like this, um, the known medicines do a pretty good job on the periphery. So in, in certain diseases, like for you and me, we, we're healthy, we hope, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> right? Uh, well, you, look, you look much more healthy than I am. <laughs> but, um, you know, so what the body normally does is there's waste flowing around your body 24-7. But you, you don't know about it because your body clears it out. Um, in diseases like lysosomal storage diseases um, where there's a deficient enzyme, um, for example, um, it doesn't treat the brain symptoms because serozyme is just one example, doesn't get across the blood-brain barrier. Now, there are several neurological conditions associated with Gaucher's disease. And in those diseases, um, we've been able to show in the preclinical models, which I think mostly faithfully uh, kind of recapitulate human conditions. So you'll see increased heparin sulfate in the liver and spleen. Serozyme can take most of that out. On the neurological side, um, we've been able to show in a couple of different knockout models that we can clear out heparin sulfate from the brain. And so that's a huge, huge advantage. So at that point, I started taking this seriously as a, as a diligent kind of individual. You know, I also pressure tested all the other technology at the same time. So that's how I ended up here, to be honest. I got to know the company um, through the partnership that we had. And then at that point, I just kept in touch with the company. And then weirdly, to answer your question specifically, the uh, previous CEO offered me the CEO job at JP Morgan in 2017. And I, I joined in April 20, um, same year. Did you know at some point, you know, maybe when you were a young guy, maybe a young guy plus a couple of years that someday you thought you'd end up being a leader of a biopharma? Honestly, no. <laughs> my early part of my career was really based around, really wasn't thinking about being a CEO at that point. It was more about learning all the different facets of the companies, um, which I think is a skill set that you know is fairly unique because you have to remember, right, in big pharma, if you don't stay in a job for five years, they think you're flighty, right? And you know, my thing was never to be in one box for seven years, right? It was what's the goals? How do I get them accomplished? How do we drive the science forward? And so um, it wasn't until 
Frank Walsh, who's the CEO of Oceanics, which is a, a competing technology um, based around the transferrin receptor. Frank, uh, Frank had been a great mentor to me over the years. Um, and when I was at Wyeth, he was head of research. Um, and it was actually Frank that first said to me, you thought about being a CEO. And what'd you say? I said, no. <laughs> I said, it hasn't crossed my mind at all. Um, because literally when I'm all in on something, I'm all in on it. So for me, it's, you know, it's get the job done, go in, get it done, do it really well. If it's really good scientifically, I'll end up in a really good journal. Um, but, you know, Frank and I, you know, continue talking to each other over a long period of time and you know, bring opportunities up to me that you thought would be good. And so I started talking to a couple of companies and started to get a feel for it. Um, and then... And then that was actually the seeding of the the idea that, yeah, probably could run a company, right? Um, knowing that, you know, there's a lot of learning along the way. When somebody asks you for the most basic level, an intelligent person, though, says, what do you do for a living? What do you say? I'm responsible for the oversight of a public company. And the mission of that company is to deliver medicines that haven't been deliverable before. And we have an approach that we feel is very efficient in delivering those medicines. And we're going to take these drugs into development and we're going to, we're going to you know, test what they can do. And I think, um, I think that's really the top line of it, making medicines. If you can remember what you wanted to be when you were a kid and then if that had anything to do with the way your professional life worked out, what would you say? You know, I wanted to be an A&R Executive artists and repertoire. Yeah, okay. you know, signing. You know, I was always into music um, from a young age. Sort of hang out with them and make their lives, right? Yeah, such that they could make music. Okay. I mean, look, you know, I grew up in an environment where, I mean, literally, the Gallagher Brothers from Oasis, which is no association with Bioasis. That was <laughs> the name of the company when I took over. But a lot of a lot of folks actually, you know, were like, "Oh, did you name that after you?" You know, after I was like, "No, it's got absolutely nothing to do with it." Um, but I was always interested in music. Factory Records, which was the big independent label. It was just, you know, we were in this kind of area where music was a big thing in Manchester. So actually, my early ambitions, um, I was always interested in the brain, but not as much as was interested in music at that point. And that's been a constant thread through life, right? We're humans. I mean, that's an important thing. A CEO is the face of the company, but we also are people, right? And there are things that we like to listen to and go and see whether it's a concert or whatever and um yeah no my 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 early ambition as a young man is very different um to once i got really involved in neuroscience and our you know drug development i think i made the right choice <laughs> so Mark, what's new at bioasis yeah so we've been executing on um our kind of internal strategy so that is um on the one hand, you heard me talk about, you know, Herceptin, for example, in, in uh, brain and, uh, you know, uh, breast cancer as an example. Um, you know, they've been, the advancement of those from having preclinical data, and by that I mean, you know, a good recapitulation of disease, but not in a human, um, has been good. And we've been driving that forward. In terms of where we're at and, uh, you know, where are we today that's different from last time we spoke, right, John? Um, I'd say, you know, 
um, you know, the company's probably a small market cap company, right? Um, so the company had never had since 2008 a business development deal. So in 2018, one of the things we did was really knuckle down on the due diligence at the data room, as an example, um, intellectual property, all the R&D data, et cetera, got that organized. That was important because it enabled the execution of the Prathena licensing deal we did in October. And that's really exciting because it's, on the inside, you've got one kind of tranche, and that is wholly owned programs, of which we have several. They're all well-established medicines. They're off patent. And by just linking our technology to those drugs, they actually are new medical entities. And if they work in both the periphery and the brain, then you've got a new standard of care potentially, right? And that's guidance we've had from um, lots of consultants we have um, that have really have cut their teeth in these FDA meetings. So that, that, was, that was important. So you've got that tranche of well-established medicines, which means relatively low risk, well-known medicines to the FDA. On the other side is licensing XB3, our blood-brain barrier delivery technology, um, which is a small 12 amino acid peptide. And, you know, Prathena, there's another company we did a deal with that's not disclosed the name of the company. So that's such a really important uh, agreement because... In that case, you know, you've got your external kind of portfolio, so to speak, where you license the technology. It's starting to be taken up, and we, we actually do have a good number of term sheets to work through at this point. But in those cases, um, the two that I'm talking about here, is they're going to make advances with XB3 and return the data to us, which we can then share with future investors. So the capital kind of constraints around the company on the internal program are just specifically for the internal programs. All of the new exploratory experimental therapeutics that XB3 will be used with will be run by our partners. And so it's a really, um, it's a really productive relationship. Um, the other things that are new is um, for the company, considering it was founded in 2008, is um, we actually go into the FDA for our brain cancer program um, in June. Um, you know, I always like to build a bit, you know, it could be June, July, you know, depending on the FDA turnaround times, which have significantly improved in the last two years. Um, so that's, that's a positive for sure. Um, and then the next step after that would be actually the phase, phase one start, which we anticipate to be probably the second Either, yeah, probably the second quarter of 2020. And that, that's really exciting because um, nobody's been able to deliver these types like trastuzumab across the blood-brain barrier. So as I mentioned earlier, the only way you can really get medicine there, intrathecal doesn't work, you just don't get exposure. The only other option is direct delivery, which involves drilling a hole in the head. So if we can show in a PET study that XB3 delivers trastuzumab in a meaningful quantity to be able to actually impact the disease, it'll actually be the first demonstration of a non-invasive drug delivery system taking a drug across the blood-brain barrier and getting to its target, hopefully having the desired therapeutic effect because, you know, it's, it's, let's face it, it's a terrible, terrible disease. And right now your options are, if you've got brain cancer, it's a really poor prognosis, as anyone can imagine. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's a real shift for this company um, is both on the business development side 
as well as actually advancing programs towards development. Who is Bioasis? So his personality, if you want to kind of describe it as a character, is, um, you know, it's, it's a bit mischievous, right? It's disruptive, but it's enabling at the same time. And, and it's got the potential to really change the probability of success in neuroscience. And the, the whole aim of this, this goes back to an interview I did with you, 2017, right? Um, and that is to make neuroscience a much higher probability success game. Because right now, if you look at the probability of success in neuroscience, and I've been on several companies where I'm you know, responsible for BD, and the PTSs are literally rounded up by everything in Alzheimer's. It's like 0.06% probability success, right? But that's not true. That's the whole market taken together. Now, if you look at the base inhibitor that Merck ran, they did do a solid job on it. That, that is the one failure where I can point to and go, that mechanism, in my mind, based on those data, that mechanism doesn't work in Alzheimer's, right? The flip side of that is all the drugs that didn't have that kind of diligence around how the drug was selected, how the dose was chosen, what was the biomarker that actually was going to predict whether or not you could remove the disease. So BioAsis is there as a character to disrupt the other BBB companies. You need more than that percentage to get into the brain sensibly and compete. Um, but at the same time, our mission is totally solely directed at the, the patients. The other kind of um, new news is, um, as you'll remember from the opening party, um, celebration of the, the BioAsis US headquarters um, was Deborah Rathjen came on board as our chairman yeah, that, that evening, right? So that was that was a big inflection point. Um, Deborah's been massively supportive um, of the management team. Um, she, you know, she's got 18 years of experience at previous biotech. So Deborah is now our executive chairman, and she's absolutely been invaluable to me. How about on, on the level of platform versus you know, drug development, let's say, do, do sometimes people get it wrong? Do they think, oh, you're strictly a platform company versus you might want to do something with this platform? Does that question make any sense? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good question. It does make sense. I think, you know, you have folks out there that are really actually, there's a portion of folks that are only interested in platforms. When I was a BMS, um, Carl DeChico is also a great chap to work with. You know, we're really excited about platform. Him and another chap called Art Berdelson. Um, and they just got it right. A platform could be enabling. Um, in other places, um, depending on who you're talking to, the concept of platform may not be so important. It might be particularly therapeutic. So even if you're doing rare diseases or you're doing, you know, big diseases. And I think, you know, I think they're strategic considerations. But for us... Um, most people react very positively to a disruptive enabling platform. So we're sitting in your elegant brick space here in uh, in Guildford, and this could be this could be located any place. I can picture this being in Cambridge. I can picture this being a lot of different places. But it's here. It's here in Guildford. So obvious question is, how did you pick Guildford? You literally have an entire pharmaceutical workforce on your doorstep. Because literally everyone that works at BMS lives within five square miles of this, this office, right? Um, and so, so that's, that's good. And so the, the other thing here is stability. 
it's a stable place to it's a great place to live it's great for families the schools are great it's in the L catchment area <clears throat> um, so you know there's a lot of upside to being in, in Connecticut a five minute walk from the office is the Metro North train station which means you can get to Old Saybrook for the Boston train or you can actually get straight into New York that's um, nice and so, you know, you put all those things together and it's a sensible place to be. In the tri-state area, which people and organizations do you stay in touch with to help build the biopharma community that you're part of here? I think the most proactive um, support we get locally is actually from BioCT. Um, and they've just been really good, you know, putting out press releases of ours unsolicited through their network. So we do have a good network of folks just within BioCT. I think that's, that's really important um, to have that. In terms of locally, as I mentioned, you know, um, we're all either XBMS or Alexion at some point um, in this ecosystem. So, you know, I have uh, lots of folks at disposal to, you know, run ideas by, you know, brainstorm, and Deborah and I, you know, talk regularly. But you know, in terms of you know, just getting out there and what might be going on that you don't know, Vlad Korich um, is the CEO um, of Biohaven. You know, worked with him at Bristol. Um, was a formidable individual, excellent professional, very entrepreneurial. Uh, Doug Mannion, as I mentioned earlier, is a good mentor to me at Bristol. Actually, bumped into him at BioCEO, so I managed to catch up with him there. And, you know, so each of these uh, individuals has a whole different set of experiences and networks that, you know, at the right time, you know, you can plug into and, you know, get additional guidance and feedback from. So that's been good. And then we have, um, I've always had a very strong relationship with MassBio in Boston. Mark, thanks for sitting down with me today. I appreciate you making time. Oh, it was a pleasure. Always, always, John. And um, thank you very much. When Mark Day says, we're humans too, the CEO is the face of the company, but we're also people, I picture the album covers from factory records that hang on the walls at BioAces Technologies office in Guilford. Mark's connection to factory records in his native Manchester and his leadership at BioAces seem to share a passion for new thinking. Check back each month for fresh CEO insights on BioBoss. And if you haven't heard my conversations with John Houston, CEO of Arvinus, Erica Smith, CEO of Renetics Bio, and Jennifer Good, CEO of Trevi Therapeutics, check them out now. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. <laughs>